Amen. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Good to see you all today. Glad you're here. How about this cold weather? Yeah, that's what I say, man. Look, they're predicting 27 degrees at my house in the morning. Yeah. Maybe they were dyslexic. Maybe they really meant 72. What do you think? Let's go with that. <laughs> all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we are. You guys know that we've been on a journey for some time now through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul's first letter to that struggling Corinthian church. We find ourselves today in verses 4 through 8a. That is the very first part of verse number 8, 8a. So we'll start in verse number 4. You know that we have been looking for the past several weeks at a series that we have kind of titled, What Does It Mean to Be Spiritual? Because that's what Paul brackets this passage with. He uses the word spiritual in verse 1 of chapter 12. That is the opening parenthesis of this inclusio, which brackets this entire section of three chapters. Then he uses it again in verse 37 of chapter 14, where he says, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual... So he's talking to this Corinthian church about what it really does look like when you have a bunch of spiritual folks together in a corporate worship service. And of course they had a fascination with uh, the lesser gifts, uh, those manifestation gifts of the Spirit that were being misused in that congregation. So he shows them, he tells us in uh, chapter 13 or really the end of chapter 12, he says, I want to show you a better way. Let me show you how to get at this more effectively. Uh, Let me show you how to do this in a way that's uh, just no other way to say it except better. So let's pick up now in this same section as Paul is focusing on love in verse number 4. And here's what he does. He begins to give us a rapid fire description of what this type of love that is the more excellent way looks like. Verse number 4, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Well, what a wedding passage. How many of you have been to more than one wedding where this was the chosen passage? And I think it's appropriate for that occasion, but it's also a little bit deeper than that occasion. Uh, Certainly this ought to be the goal of our life, not only in our marriage, but especially in our walk with other believers and in our walk with the Lord. And Paul really puts all of this together under this this title of what does it look like to be spiritual. So let me use this opportunity to speak to you on this subject today. True spirituality, the better way of agape. Because see, this is the word that he uses for the word love. You know, there are several words translated love in the Greek New Testament that come into English as one word. And the word is agape. It refers to that unconditional type of love that God has for us. The type of love that's not resident in the object that is lovable, but is totally resident in the one who is doing the loving. We see that in God because He loves us when we were unlovely, when we were unlovable. And yet He lavished His love upon us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this is not the touchy-feely type of love that we sometimes think of it as. Neither is this the love of reciprocity. I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. It's not that type of love, but it's that type of love that is resident in the one who is loving, that may not be attracted out of him by the object that is love because sometimes it's unlovable. So what is this better way of agape? And how does that express true spirituality 
over in contrast as to how those Corinthians were trying to express their spirituality. So let's look at this passage and see what it is that Paul would say to us about this better way of agape. I think we have to lay out one general principle before we look at the specifics. And here's the general principle. Love is best understood when observed in action. I mean, stop and think about it. How do you ultimately know that somebody loves you? Because they tell you? Or because they show you? It's exactly right. And it's no coincidence that every one of these words and every one of these predicate adjectives is, a, is an action verb of what love is or what love is not. And you know, that's just the nature of how Scripture describes love. It always describes love not in etherical philosophical terms, but in terms of action. How do you see it working out, fleshing itself out in action? For example, when the Bible speaks of the love of God, you just check this out when you're reading your Bible. Every time it speaks of the love of God, it always shows something that God did because of His love. Let me give you a couple slam dunks, for example. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He did what? You see, there's love in action, right? So every time the Bible speaks of love, it always has an action word, especially when it refers to the love of God. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, For God commends His love toward us in that while we were yet centered, Christ died for us. So you see that love is best observed, or it's best understood when it's observed in action. So here's the dealio. Nobody's going to believe we love them unless we do what? Unless we show them. So what does Grace Church do in Bonifay? We strive to show Bonifay that we love them. What does Grace Church do among unreached people groups where we have a, a, a gospel witness today? We show them that we love them. So notice what it is that Paul does as he talks about love in action here. And by the way, here's a cool thing for you to do. You know, the Bible says, doesn't just say that God loves, but it says that God is love. So do this uh, as, a, as a little exercise. Every time you see the word love in verses 4 through 8, insert the word Jesus there. And see if it still makes sense. Because Jesus is God and God is love, right? So here you go. Let's, let's, let's take a little gander at this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. And is not jealous. Jesus does not brag. And is not arrogant. Jesus does not act unbecomingly. You see that? Still makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Now, are you ready for the kicker? Put your name in there every time you see love and see if it makes sense. <laughs> oh boy, right? So y'all are telling me that we have room for growth. Is that what you're telling me? So then I'm not shooting in the dark when I preach this message about the better way of agape. Is that what you're telling me? So what you're telling me is that invitation time, everybody's going to be strewn on the altar, right? <laughs> uh, I went a little bit too far with that one, huh? All right, here we go. Let's check it out. Love is best understood when observed in action. Now, when you go through this passage, you're going to find that it's evenly divided. There are 16 characteristics identified of love in this passage. And if you look at them, you're going to find evenly divided, there are eight that are positive affirmations of, of love, and there are eight negative descriptions of love. In other words, what love is not or what love does not do. So since it does that, somehow or another, you and I have to follow that same outline that the Apostle Paul gives us. So here's what love does. Love in action. Love, number one, prohibits harmful attitudes. So let's look at these first eight or these eight that are given as, as negatives as prohibitions that love gives us as an attitude check. In other words, love will be 
the policeman in your heart and soul that will prohibit the entry of harmful attitudes. So stop and think about that. I mean, if we are really loving people, love will serve as a traffic cop saying, hey, that thought does not belong here. Get it out. So what is it that love prohibits? Well, let's just walk through this passage and see what harmful attitudes love does prohibit. Number one in verse number four, notice that Paul starts out with two positives and then he goes right into a negative. He says, love is not jealous. Now, here's, what, here's the way I have stated it because either one of these words will work. Love is not envious. Envious. So let's think of that word jealous as envious. And I'll tell you why in a little while. But, but, but here's what the word envy means. And you know what? Man, envy is a monster, is it not? It's such a monster until we describe it like this. When we know somebody is envious, we'll say that person is green with envy. You ever heard that expression before? Kind of describing the monstrous effect of envy in somebody's life. So when I think of envy and and when the Bible describes envy, I, I think there are two words that really come to mind. The first word that is kind of contra envy is this, is contentment. Contentment. So stop and think about it. If you're envious, that means somebody else has something that you don't have, but you wish you did, and you want it so bad until you're green with envy. So you see, if we are folk who are in the way of agape, the spiritual policeman stands at the door of our heart, that is love, and says, no, you don't come in because love makes you content with what you do have. See what I'm saying? So contentment is the opposite of what Paul says love is not. I think if Paul had a little, uh, 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 if he had a little more space, he would have probably put that word in there. Contentment. And that's what one of the things that love promotes and it prohibits envy. Now, check out the other word. Not only does the word contentment come to mind, but also the word competition. Competition. Because here's what happens. Here's the source of envy. Boy, it it comes out especially in those of us who have a competitive spirit. Do you know anybody who's competitive and they turn everything into a competition? I mean, it don't don't matter. Jerry, is that you know somebody or you are one? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I thought that was a little bit too hard. You weren't talking about Karen there, were you? (laughs) All right. Here's what, here's what spirit of competition will do for us. I mean, and I, I do. I, I know folk, they turn everything into competition. Even your leisure activities. I mean, what's the point of doing a leisure activity if somebody's going to turn it into a competition, right? I mean, don't go fishing with Jerry because <laughs> you can't relax because you got a meeting, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's just the way it works with folk who are competitive. Uh, they've got to be first in everything. They've got to win. They've got to do more. They've got to do better or, or, or all of this type of stuff. So here's why a spirit of competition will cause us sometimes to be envious. Because if you don't win, somebody else did. Guess what you're wishing? You're wishing that you would have won. So you see these two words figure in greatly into this word that Paul uses for envy and it kind of helps us understand how we can combat it. Number one, by being content with what God has given us. And number two, not being so blasted competitive about everything in life, right? Because competition breeds envy. Notice number next. Not only does he say that love prohibits envy as a harmful attitude, so love is not envious, but verse 4 also tells us that it is not egotistical. What he says in verse number 4. Love does not brag. Is not a braggart. You know what the spiritual policeman does when, it, when our heart's full of, of love and it acts as a spiritual policeman? We can't brag about what we've done. We cannot. Uh, we can't be that person that when somebody tells us something they did, we have to one-up them by telling them about how what we did was a little bit better. Love doesn't do that. It prohibits harmful attitudes. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to, 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 
to relate to somebody who does that to you all the time? I mean, after a while, what do you quit doing? You just quit sharing with them, right? Because you know no matter what you do, they've done something better. And they're going to turn it around and, and, and brag a little bit on you. And, you know, there's nothing more repulsive to the rest of us. I, I, ain't, it, ain't it amazing how braggers, the only one who likes, likes it is them? <laughs> Everybody else kind of repulsed by it. So Paul says, that's why the spiritual policeman stands at the door of your heart, love, and says, nope, we're not going there. So now you see why it's so hard for us to insert our name. It's very easy to insert the name of Jesus in the place of love. It's very difficult for us to insert our name. Check out number next. Love prohibits harmful attitudes. Number one, love's not envious. Love is not egotistical. And also in verse number four, look what he says, is not arrogant. Love is not overinflated. Arrogant. The, 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 the Greek word behind that means to be puffed up. It means to be overinflated. It means like a basketball that's been pumped up and now it's about twice the size till it won't even fit through the hoop. It can't even do what it was intended to do because it's so overinflated. And here's how it would have been used in Paul's first century world. It would have, mean, it would have meant to swell up beyond its normal size. For instance, one day last week I was on a, on a bulldozer pushing down some old debris piles that I'd piled up about two years ago, just having the time of my life. Bright, sunny day, warm, short-sleeve weather, and I was just having a time out there. And the next thing I know, it clouded up. And I wasn't paying attention. I didn't realize that the cloud wasn't cloud, it was bees. I done pushed up, I done pushed up an active yellow jacket nest, and I ain't lying to you darkened the sun. And they began to figure out who was causing great harm to their nest. And as soon as they figured out it was that little bald head guy on that bulldozer, they all came in unison. And I'm telling you, they got on me and one went across my lip and stung me on my lip and I finally got the bulldozer in neutral and started running. And the farther I'd get, the less clothes I have. By the time I got about a quarter mile away, they were in my hair, they were down my shirt collar. By the time I got far enough away from them, I was almost down to my skivvies. <laughs> Heather thought it was funny until I told her the dozer's still idling, you got to go turn it off. <laughs> it wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> But here's what happened when that one got me on the lip. Man, my lip was put, poked out like that. It was swollen and it was hurting and just throbbing. And that's how this word would have been used in the first century. Something that's swollen. And that's what an arrogant person is. Hey, they have an overinflated ego and they have valued themselves a whole lot more than what they really should. It's kind of like those people my daddy used to talk about says, I'd like to buy him for what he's worth and sell him for what he... Y'all had the same daddy. We, you know. <laughs> yeah, that would be profitable, wouldn't it? So here's the deal. We are to be filled, but not overinflated. Now, with what are we to be filled? The Holy Spirit. Now... How are we to fill ourselves? We're supposed to, we're supposed to ask Him to fill us every day, right? That's what, that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians. We are to be filled with the Spirit of God. And I can remember in seminary, one of my classmates asked the professor, why do we have to be filled every day? And the professor said, because you leak. Now, here's why, I, here's, here's why it's good that we leak. Here's why God, I think, has, has holes in us. We kind of like a colander, you know. A colander has holes on purpose. I think you have holes on purpose. Because if you didn't have holes on purpose and you were filled with the Spirit every day for long, you're going to be overinflated. Am I right? So there's a difference. We are to be filled but not overinflated. Overinflated is ego. It's arrogance. It's pride. It'll cause us to do all of these things that the spiritual policemen standing at the door of our heart saying, no, we're not going there because love prohibits that. So we're observing love here in action, the better way of agape. It prohibits envy. It prohibits egoism. It, it, it prohibits overinflation. And then in verse number 5, notice what Paul says. It does not act unbecomingly. Here's the way I state that. It is not inappropriate. Because here's what the Word gets at. 
The word gets that, you see that word unbecomingly? It means this. It means that love knows how to behave itself no matter what situation it finds itself in. For example, we act in according to where we are. You know that? I mean, we just do. And this word talks about that. This word gets at the heart of it. For instance, the way you would act, the way Dr. John would act at a Gators football game would be appropriate, but it would be inappropriate for him to act the way he acts at a Gator football game if he was at a funeral service. See what I'm saying? And it would be inappropriate for us to act in church the way we act at a hockey venue or something like that. You see what I'm saying? Love knows how to act no matter what scenario it finds itself in. Now, here's the thing. How do you know? I mean, if you're just culturally ignorant, how do you know what proper etiquette is? And you know it because love does that for us. Love helps us be self-aware. It helps us know where we are. It helps us know our surroundings. It helps us know what's appropriate and what's inappropriate, what to do and what not to do. Isn't that cool? That's what love helps us to do. Know how, when to act in a certain way and when not to act in a certain way. Well, check it out. Not only does is love not, does not act unbecomingly, but verse number 5 also tells us it does not seek its own. So not only is, is it not inappropriate, but it's not inward. Love stands at the door of your heart and says, Oh, you know, no, you're not going to make this about you. You know anybody who's selfish? No, I don't either, Jerry. I don't know anybody that way. <laughs> Since Jerry's using himself as an example, let's just use Jerry. What do y'all say? <laughs> Jerry's problem is not that he's selfish. <laughs> Jerry's problem is he's running low on love. <laughs> I mean, isn't that, isn't that what Paul says about us when, when, when we're inward? Because love prohibits an inward focus. Man, I want to tell you something. Here's how you know Grace Church is no longer a loving church. When you come and there's no longer any flags up here, when you come and we no longer focus on unreached people groups, we, we're no longer loving when, when our announcement don't talk about ministry opportunities that we have right here in Bonifay. We're no longer loving when any of that happens. We're also, the same time that happens, everything will start to be about us. All of our announcements will be about us. All of our money will be spent on us. Everything we do will be about us. Is that a loving church? That church loves itself. That's about the end of it, right? But that's not an agape church. Love stands at the door of our hearts and says, No, no, we're not going to go down this road where you make everything about you. Because it's not about you. It's about Him and it's about them. Notice number next. Not only is love not inward, but verse number 5 says, and boy, here's a good one, right? Verse number 5 says, it is not provoked. Here's the way I say it, and there are some translations that do it this way too. Talk about anger. Love is not irritable. And here's the thing. Most of our translations put this word easy before that. It's not easily angered. But that's not in the original. It just says it's not irritable. It's not irritable. I, that means you can't get on love's nerves. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, love and having a short fuse are mutually exclusive. Love is not easily irritated. And Paul's going to add to that in just a minute, so let's move on. Verse number 6, notice what he says. I'm sorry, verse number 5. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. So what does that mean? That means love doesn't make, or love makes no entry in the logbook. 
The word that Paul uses there, it is, basically, it is the word from which we get our word log. And it, it refers to an accounting sheet or a spreadsheet. And you ever get the idea that some folk are, are keeping that log sheet? I did this for you, this for you, this for you, this for you, this for you. You did this against me, against me, against me, and against me. You ever get that idea? Here's what, here's what the counseling world calls it. The counseling world calls it the kitchen sink attack. How many of you have heard that, that, that phrase? The kitchen sink attack. And here's how the kitchen sink attack normally manifests itself. You rocking along, having a good time. You and your wife been getting along. I mean, things have just been wonderful. And all of a sudden, you do something to displease her. And when you displease her, she hits you with everything that you've done that she's been storing up for the past three months. Brings up stuff that you didn't even know you did. That's known as the kitchen sink attack. And that comes from the fact that people are making notes of everything you did against me, and one day it's going to come out, it's going to boil over, and I'm going to hit you with every one of them. Bam. That's the kitchen sink attack. When the Bible says, love the policeman stands at the door as the guard and says, no, 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 no. You're not going to write that down anywhere. You're going to act like that didn't even happen. You're not going to pay any account to it. But let me tell you what else it does. Not only does it not register in the logbook evil that is done against you, it also doesn't register in the logbook good that I do for you. You see, that's the basis of our injustice. All I've ever done for you is good. And what have you ever done for me? Nothing but caused me pain and grief my entire life. I mean, isn't that normally the way it goes? But hey, love doesn't write down the good that we do. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Isn't that right? Because if you do, eventually you're going to take note of it and you're going to think, well, I'm a pretty good guy. And do you know that's the way most folk relate to God? Is they keep this long list of everything they've done. Some folk, I think, make a list of every time they go to church. And they think they're going to stand before God one day and say, Lord, on March 19, 2023, I was at Grace. I didn't want to be there. I could have been turkey hunting. But no, I gave up and sacrificed you. I was in church. See what I'm saying? And love doesn't do that. Love doesn't make entries in the log book of life. Just lets it go. Um, check out number... Hey, and by the way, have you ever went up to somebody and said, Man, I appreciate what you did the other day. And you don't have a clue what they're talking about? I think that's, that's spirituality. I think that's, that's when we're getting there. I think that's when love is really taking over in our life when you're doing stuff and you're not even aware of it. Check out number next in verse number 6. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And, and here's the heart of the thought. Love does not enjoy the calamity of others. Now stop and think about this. You got somebody that's, man, they've just done you wrong. Anybody got anybody like that that's done them wrong? Huh? I mean, I've never been done wrong, so I can't relate to this. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. There's something about human nature that likes to see it when they get it back. Am I right? Huh? And here's what we normally say. <laughs> what goes around comes around. Now, there might be some truth to that, but we shouldn't say it with a smile on our face, huh? <laughs> I mean... Here's what love does. Love cries when we get news of calamity that happened to one of our enemies rather than rejoicing. Now, boy, you've got to be full of it. Hey, full of love in order to do that. Are you with me? And that's what Paul says true spirituality is. We don't hear about something, that's, something bad who's happened to somebody who's been dogging us running us down, spreading malicious, malicious gossip and lies about us, when something bad happens to them, we don't rejoice. We don't like it. It kind of breaks our heart that they had to get to the point where something like that had to happen to them. Check out the other side of this. We've looked at eight negatives. Now let's look at eight positives. Love is best understood when observed in action. Love prohibits some harmful attitudes. 
But here's the positive side of this, and you can see why I did that. I wanted to end on a good note rather than a negative. Love promotes healthy attributes. It promotes healthy attributes. So Paul's going to give us eight now things that love does that's not harmful, but rather is healthy or helpful. So let's start right up at the top of this list. Look what he does in verse number 4. He says, love is patient. Now, here's how I say it on your listening guide. Love has a large pain tolerance. A large pain tolerance. Because here's what the word means. It's not the, it's not the normal word used for patience. That's going to come down a little bit later. It's the word bears. But... but a lot of translations, as a matter of fact, the King James does this. Who has the King James? Doesn't the King James translate it as long-suffering? Suffers long. There you go. All right, so it has a, a large pain tolerance. And here's the Greek word that comes from behind it. The Greek word has a pronoun, a, a prefix up front, macro. Now, you don't know Greek, but you know what macro means. Macro is the opposite of micro. And micro is what? Micro small. Macro is large. So the word that macro is attached to is the word for suffering or pain. So love is macro suffering. And it's the word that we get our word passion from. It's macro thumos, which means it's big on passion. Now here's the problem. Passion for us today means something totally different from what it meant in Latin. In Latin it meant pain. It meant to hurt. As a matter of fact, here's how it's used in the theological world today. There's a term that's much debated, and it's known as patripassionism. And what that big word means is, can God suffer? Does God feel pain? Now stop and think about it. We're, we're good at saying things like this, but we don't think about them. There's a sign right up here on the interstate going down the, going down the interstate highway on 10 that says this. It says, abortion breaks Jesus' heart. What are they getting at? They're getting at patry passionism, saying that there's some things that hurt Jesus. I mean, we sometimes talk about our sin and the, and the effect that that has on Jesus. That's patry passionism. I can remember when I was a pre-doctoral student at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, we used to have to go to these theological fellowships as a part of our, our degree program in the philosophy department. And man, theological fellowships weren't just like going and sitting around and let's talk about God for a little while. Theological fellowships, they brought all of the genius eggheads from anywhere on this planet and put them in one room. And they'd bring all of the doctoral students and put them in that room with them. And you had to interact with these guys over this subject. Man, I'll never forget, we went to one one time and it was on patripassionism. And I was just getting started and I was in there with another philosophy student and we went and sat in that thing and my goodness gracious alive, those guys got up so high I couldn't even understand the questions they were asking, let alone the answers. But it was all about God suffering. Bottom line, this is what this says, that we are to be long-suffering. Does God have a high pain tolerance? You better believe it. If He didn't, I wouldn't be here. Huh? I mean, He done got rid of me. Hey, is, isn't it our M.O. today to get rid of anything in our life that causes pain? Huh? I mean, anything that causes pain, we're looking for a pill to take, right? Anything that's unpleasant, we want to cut it out and boot it out. But the Bible says that love has a large pain tolerance. That means it, it man, well, <laughs> you know what that means. It means it doesn't give up. It doesn't quit. I mean, I look at some folk that are going through some things in their family. And I ask myself, how in the world do you do that? And the bottom line is because love is macro-passionate. It suffers long. It has a large pain tolerance. So I have to, have to ask myself, Hey Rich, how much pain tolerance do you have? When do you want to thump somebody on the head and be done with them? Because they're causing you too much pain. Love expands that. You see, love stands at, at the door of our heart and says, Oh no, we're not going there. It stands at the other door and says, Come on in. We are doing this. 
Check out number next. Not only does it have a large pain tolerance, but the Bible also tells us in verse 4 that it's eager to be kind. Look at verse number 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know what that means? I mean, it's real complicated. It means you're being nice to people. <laughs> huh? I mean, I, I, one, of my, one of my buddies that's part of a church in two or three states off called me the other day. And man, it's just a troubled church. <laughs> Plagued with one problem after another. Doesn't demonstrate a whole lot of love. And somebody come up with this grand idea, and that's why he called me, because it had to do with missions on the other side of the world. And he said, I told them they're in no position to be doing this. He said, first thing they got to learn is how to just be nice to one another on Sunday. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. I mean, isn't that wisdom? I mean, it really is. I mean, have you ever noticed? I mean, let's forget spirituality. I mean, sometimes believers are just not even kind to one another, let alone to lost people. I, I, the reason I don't have Facebook is I'm not going to watch pastors shoot at one another on Monday. Huh? I mean, there's some folk that are just absolutely mean-spirited and looking for a reason to disagree with somebody and to chastise them on Facebook. I mean, come on. Let's be nice to one another. I mean, that's a good place to start, isn't it? And that's what love does. Love causes us. It slams the door on this other stuff, but it opens the door and says, come on in, kindness. By the way, both of these are a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. So if we're filled with the Spirit, we'll be filled with love as well, and we'll exhibit these things, right? Here we go. Check out number next. Not only does love have a large pain tolerance, not only is it eager to be kind, but check out verse number 5. It says... Uh, I'm sorry, I got these numbers all out of whack, but just ch change that one to, to verse number 6. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means it's attracted to truth. It's attracted to truth. I mean, if there's no love, you are going to rejoice in unrighteousness. If you're filled with love, you're going to be supernaturally, automatically drawn to truth. Drawn to righteousness. Check it out. Let me, let me, let me read that again. Uh, verse number 6. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But here you go, here you go, here you go. It's, 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 it's part B of verse 6. It rejoices with truth. It's the antithesis. It's the opposite of the first part. It rejoices with truth. So there we go. means it's attracted to truth. And here's what it does. That word rejoices is the word grace. It's the same root word as we get for our word grace. So it literally graces together with truth. Rejoices with truth. And that, that, that with there is an instrumental of association. It means these two rejoice together. So you know what that tells us? It tells us this, man. It tells us if I've got a problem rejoicing, it's probably because I'm not in association with truth. But I want to tell you, when you're in affiliation, in association with truth, you will rejoice with that truth. Here's what I love so much about Grace Church. Man, y'all rejoice in truth. Did you know that? You just do. And when truth dawns on you, when God opens our eyes to see truth in Scripture, man, what does that do to your heart? I'll tell you what it does for me. It hardly causes me to be able to contain myself. I want to get up and take a lap around the room. That's what I do. That's, I think that's rejoicing with truth because God, truth, you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? Shall set you free. So here's what we do, man. When we have an encounter with truth, we rejoice and our inhibitions are gone. We realize that, hey, this is the better way. This is how life works. And I rejoice together with truth. Man, that's cool. Hey, listen, if we've got truth, we ought not be a somber bunch. Am I right? Huh? If we're encountering truth on a daily basis, we ought to be some of the most rejoicing and happy people on the planet. Because here's what love does. Love rejoices with its brother. And you know what its brother is? Its brother is truth. Got to run. Check out number next. Not only is it attracted to truth, but verse number 6. Now, here's our word for patience. Love 
carries heavy loads. Carries heavy loads. Look with me in verse number 7. Bears all things. And that word means, that word bear means to get under a heavy burden and stay there. Not pop out, but to stay there. So it bears all things. Now notice something here. Paul uses this word all three times, four times. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now that's what's known when you use it just in this context as an unqualified categorical statement. But the scripture itself puts the qualifications on it. It bears all things in relation to the gospel. You see, Paul opened this session by saying, For I do all things for the sake of the gospel. It does not mean here that we bear things that the Bible says we ought not be putting up with. Right? I mean, Jesus didn't tell us in order to reach prostitutes, we got to frequent the brothel. You see, that's not what he's talking about. He's not throwing open and saying, you should put up with everything. But he is saying this. He's saying, in the name of love, there are things you get under a heavy burden, under a heavy load, and you bear it. Hey, it's the same idea that Jerry read in 1 Peter chapter number 4, where love covers a multitude of sins. That's what it does. It doesn't mean that it hides them, but here's what it means. It means somebody has sinned against me, I don't shoot back at them. I carry it. It's what Paul said in Galatians when he said, bear one another's burdens. Hey, some folk are heavy, aren't they? On some days, some folk are heavy. On some days, I'm heavy. And you see, that's what we do. We bear one another's burdens. That's the only way it can take place. Check out the next thing he does in this rapid fire. Bears all. And number next, it believes all. Now again, that's an unqualified categorical. Does that mean if somebody comes up and tells me a big old honking lie, and I know it's a lie that I'm supposed to believe it? Heck no. I mean, a bow comes up to me and tells me, Hey, preacher, yesterday I killed four gobblers. One of them had a 30-inch beard. One of them had a 29-inch beard. Am I supposed to believe that? No, I'm not supposed to believe that. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that we're to believe all things in relation to the gospel. And the word here is the word faith. Can I just be honest? It's cliche, but it's truth. Here's what that word means. If the Bible, if the Bible says it, I believe it. End of discussion. Exactly right. So it bears all. It believes all. And finally, verse, or not finally, but close to finally, look in verse number 7 again. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things. Here's the way I state it. focuses on the good. Have any of y'all seen the shirt that my little wife is wearing today? She's, in the, she's back here in Grace Kids, but check out her shirt after the service. Uh, Sarah Wilson saw the shirt and said, this is Heather Allen, i got to get it for her. So the shirt says, what's it say, Sarah? Always an optimist. Yeah, that's what it, always an optimist. I, I mean, Heather Allen, I mean, the ship could be sinking. I mean, uh, you know, our suitcases could be floating in water this far up to the ceiling, and by golly, she's hopeful. <laughs> it's going to quit. <laughs> it ain't going to go down. I mean, it just absolutely aggravates me sometimes. I just want to hear her say one time, oh, God, we're done. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> Look at here. That little woman bears me, huh? I mean, she's under a heavy load because we're, we're polar opposites on that. I see the worst in everything. She sees the best in everything. But what does this mean, hopes all things? And what does the word hope mean? It doesn't mean really just to be optimistic. But it does mean that we have a tendency to focus on the good. And what is the good that the Bible defines as our blessed hope? His return. Our ultimate salvation. Our glorification. Our spending eternity with Him. And man, look, you put that kind of hope in any situation, and I don't care what the situation is, that hope is going to outgood whatever bad you're dealing with, right? I mean, i got a buddy... It says this, he says, look, knowing what Jesus did for me and knowing where I'm going 
If my heart suddenly explodes and I drop dead with a heart attack right now, it doesn't change a thing. There ain't nothing that can ruin my day knowing my blessed Redeemer, the blessed hope who's coming back for me, is just as sure as the world. You can't make, you can't change that. It's money in the bank. My goodness. That's what love does for us. Infuses hope in our life and in situations. Look at number next. Not only does it focus on the good, but check out verse number 7. Hopes all things, endures all things. You know what that means? That means love never quits. Never quits. Never quits. I'm just thinking. I mean, you know, we have, we have to put it in context, do we not? It never quits. It never quits. So what does that tell us about folk that just walk out on God and never come back to church? Thank you. Who said that? Yeah. It ain't the fact that the church did something to hurt them. It's the fact that they, they really don't love God, right? Because you can't love... God whom you've not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen. So man, this, this love stuff gets all in our business. And I want to tell you, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited to not preach about it next week. <laughs> I mean, it's been tough. Uh, uh, it's easier to preach on hell than it is love. Because <laughs> I know I'm not going to hell. But when I preach this stuff on love, I think, wait a minute now. You're talking about me. <laughs> huh? So it is. It's tougher. I mean, this love stuff is not just the warm fuzzies that we often associate with it. Check out number next, and i got to go. Look at, look at the last thing here, and we finish in right on time. Love never fails. But wait a minute, don't write that in your blank. Write this. Write, love never falls. It never falls. Because there's a difference. And the word translated there is literally the word for fall. It's the same word that's used when the wise men came before baby Jesus and they fell down before Him. See, there's a difference in falling and failure. To say that love never fails would mean if you love somebody enough, they won't go to hell. You ever love somebody and they went to hell? See what I'm saying? This word here is fall. Love never falls. That means it's always going to stand. It's always going to be upright. It's always going to be the last man standing. And now check this out. Let me show you how, how, why, why I make a case for falls rather than fails. Look with me now in verse number 13. But now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now why is love greater than faith and hope? Because love will never fall. Stop and think about it. Faith is going to go away one day. Why is it going to go away? Because what we faith today is going to become sight one day. You don't have to have faith because you're going to be able to see it with your physical eyes. So faith is going to go away. You're not going to need it anymore because you're seeing everything that you've always believed. Hope's going to go away one day. Why? Because one day our great hope is going to be reality. He's going to come back for us and we're going to be with Him forever in heaven. But guess what we're going to do while we're there? Son, we're going to love and love and love and love. Love never falls. Now, doesn't that fit the context of what Paul's better? What Paul's saying a little bit better than this word fail? Love never falls. Two things I want to say and then I'm done. Two, two ways love never falls. Number one, love never falls to sin. Never falls to sin. Brother Richard, why do we sin? Because you wasn't loving. I mean, stop and think about it. At that moment of crisis, when temptation is knocking on your heart's door, when you fall into sin, when you give in to temptation, you know why you fail? Because you wanted to. Because at that moment, you loved what sin was offering more than you loved what Jesus was offering. Are you with me? Son, if you love Jesus the way we're supposed to love Jesus, you will never fall to sin. But the bottom line is, when I fall, 
It's because my love was off-center. So love, number one, never falls to sin. I think the second thing is love never falls short of the goal. We don't love for a little while and then bail out. Love will stick with it all the way up to the end. Hey, yeah, maybe we've loved somebody and they still went to hell, but love didn't fall. They did. Huh? There's a difference. Love didn't fall. Love made you a better person. Love helped no telling who else along the journey. So love didn't fall. Love never falls to sin, and love never falls short of the goal. You know why so many times we bail out on our obedience to the Lord? It's not because we've got an obedience problem, but it's because we've got a love problem. Man, if we love Him, we'll never, ever fall. Stand with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, would you help us evaluate ourselves in the light of what this passage has taught us. And we pray, God, that you would cause us to be filled with your spirit, the one who is love himself, and cause us to express this love, demonstrate it in action to you, to our community, to our church. God, we, we just got to be honest with you. We, we fall short, and it's because... We're low on love. So we pray in Jesus' name you'd call us back, focus us on a deep abiding love relationship with you that causes us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our might. And God will not be satisfied until we get right there. So God, would you call us to yourself in Jesus' name. I pray for those who are here today that You've been speaking to them about specific things. Some you've been speaking to about giving their life to Christ for the first time. Pray, God, that you would do that today. Call them to yourself and may love went out. I pray for those whom you're speaking to about joining Grace Church and being a part of what you're doing here. I pray, God, that today they wouldn't fall short, but love would win out. I pray for those whom you've been speaking to, God, about certain things that only you and them know. May today be the day that they don't fall short. But may love win out this day. So God, would you be pleased in the faith step we take in the right direction this day. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.